Well, good morning. Uh, <clears throat> thank you so much uh, for that intro. And yeah, I was laughing a little bit because initially I was scheduled to preach. Uh, so we at uh, Ed City, we have two sites, uh, one in Mineola and another one in Little Neck, Queens. So I was scheduled to preach in Mineola. Then something happened there where they said, okay, you got to go preach in Little Neck. And from Queens, they said, wait, actually, Finn got COVID, so now you got to go to Philadelphia. So <laughs> Uh, bouncing around a little bit, but I, I do believe there's a reason why God has uh, at least brought me here today to share with you uh, His Word, and I'm excited to be here and just got a chance to see the building itself and, and just uh, and hear the stories of what God has been writing here for this church and for this community around. Uh, just a little bit about myself, <clears throat> like as pastors mentioned, uh, from Ed City Church. Uh, Really, my role there is to focus on community engagement in that area. I myself was born and raised in New York, so I do pride myself in that. Even though most of my life has been on Long Island, if anyone asks me, where are you from, I tell them I'm from Brooklyn. Because originally, I am from Brooklyn, born and raised there. A lot of my childhood memories are there, specifically in Coney Island. If you are familiar anywhere, definitely if you go by the Verrazano Bridge, you'll notice it. But anyway, so... So I love Brooklyn, so it's deep and close uh, to my heart. And I am married uh, to my wife, Sophia, for seven years now, and we have three little girls. Uh, twins, they're about to be, yeah, they're going to turn five, and another little one that's going to turn three. So I have three young girls. Uh, so if you have any advice or tips, please, please see me afterward, because I need as much as I can get. <laughs> Uh, but with that said, for today, I thought I'd share a message with you, message with you that I believe that uh, many of us could relate with. And as we see, even in our country today, uh, and things that we need to figure out, what is this new normal, this new rhythm that we need to walk into with COVID going up and down, figuring out what that may look like, the landscape itself. Not only that, we're also... Uh, face with this reality of, is there a recession coming? Is there no recession coming? What does our political climate look like? Abortion, gun control, you name it, the list goes on. And that's just from a national level. Think about it from a local level, the pressures that you're facing and that you're hearing. But then take that and place it even personally within your own lives and what you're facing on a day-to-day basis. And this includes for everyone, wherever you are. Now think about this. We're all faced in some way or another our worst moments. And I'm sure every one of us here has some kind of story of their worst moments that you wish that you could probably take back and that you could wish that have never, ever happened. And for me, this experience of my worst moment actually came this past week where we came back from this uh, long retreat, and then with my girls, we went to my cousin's house. They had a 4th of July barbecue, um, the pool, excitement, fun. Everyone's having a blast, looking forward to see the fireworks that were to happen. And <clears throat> during that time, my girls and their cousin, they were running around in the backyard enjoying, and I guess they saw a bunch of these flies and not realizing it was a bee's nest that was there. And they kept hitting it, playing around with it, and then the bee eventually stung one of my twin girls in the face and then twice on the arm. And she screamed out loud. I was like, that's not her typical scream and cry. I was like, okay, something isn't right. So then 
me and my wife, we ran up, checked her out. She was okay, thank God. But what happened afterwards was this. Um, the past few nights, she had a tough time sleeping. She had a really tough time sleeping. She would always wake up around 3 a.m., and she would start crying and screaming because she felt like bugs were all around her. She felt like she herself was being stung, or she felt like the pain was there. And so myself, I would pick her up at 3 a.m. I remember one specific day, I think it was on a Wednesday night, uh, and I would be walking up and down the stairs at our house uh, just to calm her down, and she was constantly crying. And now it's almost 6 a.m. Yeah, three hours have passed, and I have to get ready to go to work. So outside from pastoring, I'm also a hospice chaplain. So even in that, in my mind, I'm like, man, I didn't get any sleep. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And then my girl here is just screaming and crying. What could calm her down? And in that moment, I thought me just comforting her, holding her, will make it all better. But something happened. I just snapped. I got very angry at her. I got upset at her. Like, why can't you just stop? Why can't you just stop? Then my wife comes down. We're arguing. We're trying to figure out what's going to happen. And finally, my wife took, takes my daughter and calms her down eventually. But at that moment, and later on that day, and even during that week, I started to look myself in the mirror and was like, who was that person who just snapped? Especially to my daughter, not realizing, man, she's only four years old. There's some real trauma, just even from that bee sting. In my head, I was like, well, it's just a bee sting. Just get over it, you know, and just go back to sleep. But I was thinking about it for myself of like, I was missing my sleep. I needed to get that rest. So in that moment, I snapped at my daughter. In the passage that we just heard right now, when we look at Genesis right in the opening scene, things, if you're familiar with the story, has gone pretty well. We learn that creation is good, and God says that it is good. We learn that God has created work as an avenue for us to relate to Him and to reflect Him. He created us to reflect Him in our relationship, our unity, our interdependence, and our self-giving love, which should reflect that unity and that interdependence and self-giving love that is found ultimately in the Trinity. So things, if anything, have gone well up to this point until now. Not only do things go wrong in this passage, but we read it's probably one of the worst moments, I would say, in human history. See, if you make a list of what you consider to be the worst moments of human history, I think there's a lot. It was all made possible by this one particular moment that we're going to look at this morning. It is known as the fall of man. Now, as we study this passage about our fall, I hope that when you look at this passage, that you're able to discover God's love. Because He is ultimately the hero of this story. So we're going to see how God responds in our worst moment. And this is important, so catch this. Our worst moments will usually take some form of trying to be like God in a way that was never intended. So here's the question that I want us to reflect on and think this morning. How does God respond in our worst moments? How does God respond in our worst moments? And I think there's two things that we could take away 
from this passage. And one is that He reminds us that we are dust and He redeems us from death. I'll say that again. He reminds us that we are dust and He redeems us from death. And we'll look at what that looks like. So in this passage, what happened? See, the Garden of Eden was full of trees. And among the trees were two other trees, the tree of life, which would allow a, a, allow a person to eat of it and live forever. And the tree of knowledge, right, of good and evil. Adam and Eve were given a simple command that you may eat of any tree that you want except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you do, you will die. And so they enjoyed, if anything, this perfect harmony with God, with one another. And the rest of creation. But Satan at this moment told a lie. And that lie is still whispered into our ears. And that is that you could be like God. See, they failed to see that they were already created to reflect God. Already created in His image. But for some reason, that still wasn't enough. See, they disobeyed and ate the forbidden fruit. And now we experience disharmony with God, with one another, and the rest of creation. Now you may wonder, what does their worst moment have anything to do with me? And I would say that has everything to do with you and I. I submit to you that we are so deeply affected by it, and that we reenact their decision every single day. Nearly every day we attempt to be like God in a way that we were never intended. I love this book uh, called In Sensing Jesus by Zach Eswan. He writes, discussing that being created in God's image ultimately means that we, that we were to be like Him in many ways, relationally, rationally, freedom, and relationship. But there were also ways that we were never created to be like Him. See, here's the thing. All of us, every single one of us, myself included, we reenact the fall by attempting to be like God in ways that we were never intended for us. It's basically us replaying Genesis 3 over and over again in our lives. How? Here's how. We try to be like God in His omniscience, meaning we try to be all-knowing. Think about it. How many of you have ever wished that before you made a decision, you knew exactly how it was going to turn out? Have you ever wished that you could know all the possible variables before making a decision? For example, will I get that job? Should I pursue this relationship? How will it end? Will I get this gig? Should I take this job or will I end up hating it? Should I move to this new home, to this new apartment? What if my roommate, my partner, whoever it is, is a monster? How long should I live, whether for you guys in this Philly area or for myself in New York, even though I'm always tempted for my families to move down to Texas? Go down. It's so much better. I get that. But even with all of that, pressures and anxiety and worries, The fact that God knows things that He doesn't disclose to us actually can be really maddening, right? Really maddening. Here's another thing. We try to be like God in His omnipotent as well. Meaning we try to be all-powerful. 
Now, when I say that we try to be all-powerful, I don't mean that we wish that we could bench press 400 pounds or walk outside and lift a car and throw it. No, that's not the way that we wish that we were all-powerful. It's actually much more diabolical than that. We try to be all-powerful in being able to bend people and circumstances to our own will. How often have you felt anxiety because you realized you were powerless to change your circumstances? no matter how hard you tried? How often have you felt anxiety because you realized you were powerless to change certain people in your lives? Think about someone you wish that you could change to be the way that you want. Try not to make any eye contact with anyone here. (laughs) I had to throw that in there. Uh, When people don't do what you want, or when life doesn't turn out the way you want, it could drive you crazy, right? And our worst moments are usually characterized by some attempt of being God in ways that we were never intended. So how does God respond in our worst moments? That's the first point is this, that he reminds us that we're dust. Look at verse 19 again in that passage. It says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, to be told that you are from dust. But it's true. We hold to these two things together, right? We are made in God's image, which gives us dignity, And we're also made from the ground, which gives us uh, humility. See, but after the fall, we seem to have forgotten both of those things. See, after Adam and Eve sinned, Adam is reminded actually three times that he is made from the dust of the ground. See, God's first response to him was after the sin in verse 19. And he said, by the sweat of your face, uh, face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Continuing, says, Therefore God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taken. See, in the span of four verses, there are three reminders that Adam is made from the dust. And over and over again, he is told that he is made from the ground. Now, why does God do that? How is it so loving to be reminded, to be reminded us that we are dust? Think about it. If our worst moments is characterized by grasping divinity, it is imperative that we are reminded of our humanity. But that's not all. Look at verse 22. It says, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. See, here we have a way that becoming like God was not good. Now at least he reached out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and life forever. God sent him out of the garden. See, after we reached out for divinity and tried to be like God, there was a possibility that we could still live forever by eating of the tree of life. But see, God thought it was better for us to die than to live in a perpetual state of trying to be like Him in a way that we were never intended to be like Him. So the reminder that we are dust, that we will return to dust, is a very important part of the cure. 
And, this, and there is a reminder of this all around us. Hear this out. Edgar Allan Poe uh, is one of the most famous poems he wrote, The Raven. He conveys this idea of life's irreversibility in Sinister's Raven Purge on a window ledge, which says it's capable, uh, capable of only of repeating one word, which says nevermore, over and over again. Poe suggesting that death means everything that is uh, unrepeatable, that death is the mist of life that which will not return, that which belongs to time past, which we have no hope of ever recovering. It can mean childhood holidays with friends, the divorce of parents, or the house or schools that we have to leave, or a thousand other examples. Even if, if it does not always mean to, to mean the disappearance of a loved one, everything that comes under the heading of nevermore belongs to death's ledger. Basically what he is saying here is that we are constantly being reminded of death. That everything ultimately has an end. If anything, this pandemic has really pointed towards that. Maybe other parts of our lives as well. And bring us closer to the face of death. And from the ground that we will return. Now you may push back and be like, Justin, this is so depressing. Stop talking about death. Stop reminding us that we are dust. But it is a reminder that we are dust that sobers us to accept our humanity. See, Scripture doesn't just teach us that teach us just to see uh, reminders that are just this depressing. But as wisdom literatures that we see in Scripture, it says, listen to some of them to give some example of this. In Ecclesiastes seven two, it says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go a house of feasting, for death is a destiny for everyone. The living should take this to heart. Or Psalms 90, verse 12 says, Teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Or Psalms 39, Show me, O Lord, the number of my days. Flee in my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but breath, even those who seem secure. Or James 4, 14, Why you do, do not know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So how does God respond in our worst moments of trying to be like him? He reminds us that we are dust. And it is love for him to do so. Hear me on this. So when you realize that you cannot transcend time and space, that you cannot fast forward to the future to escape this moment, that you cannot go back into the past to live in former moments, that unlike God, you cannot possess all the time and space simultaneously. You are being reminded that you are not God. See, when you realize that you cannot know everything, that you don't know the future, you can know every possible variable, when you cannot bend people's circumstances to your will, you are being reminded that you are not God. See, when you reenact the fall, which we all will, in your worst moments, when you grasp of being like God or the God of your own life, God allows you to feel the emptiness of that by reminding you that it will never work. From dust you came, and to dust you shall return. How has God 
been reminding of you this recently. I reenact that fall every day. Especially this week felt a lot more heavier. And here I am, a dad to my daughter. And when she was at her moment of this great trauma for her in her life, where I wanted to control the situation, to just tell her to stop sleeping so I can uh, so tell her to stop crying so that I can go to sleep. Church, can we say, teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom? So think about it again. How has God been reminding you of this recently? But there's hope. There's good news. My second thing that I want to share is this, that he redeems us from death. Look at verse 21 of that passage. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, skins, and clothed them. Now, reminding us that we are dust is not what saves us. Only God can. But Adam and Eve don't acknowledge that at first. In fact, they try actually to redeem themselves. They try to fix the situation. See, Adam and Eve were looking to redeem, some, redeem themselves. They took fig leaves, right? And they covered their nakedness. And they put all these together so they could be covered. Now, this always surprised me and this always caught my attention. How can two people who have never had the experience of being clothed, know the shame of nakedness, right? I can understand if if they are in a room full of people who are fully clothed and and they are the only ones that are naked, right? I can understand if they have clothes uh, clothes before and someone removed them. But there are plenty of places, right, in the world where people are naked and unashamed, So why on earth do these two experience the shame of nakedness in this place? See, we experience shame when we feel that things ought to have been one particular way, but it's not. Ashamed of what I've done. Ashamed that I don't have what others have. Ashamed that everyone else is being something that I am not. And this is what I think this passage is trying to reveal to us. I believe what is actually being communicated to us is that once they reached out to divinity, they became ashamed of their humanity, right? Once they tried to reach out for divinity, they became ashamed of their humanity. That's why in verse 5 when the serpent said, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Catch this. And so we are told that they ate, right, of the tree, and that their eyes were open. But instead of realizing that they were like God, the first thing they experienced is shame for their humanity. In verse 6 and 8. And so the first thing they try to do is fix it. But God knows that just as their attempts of being like God will never do, neither will their attempts of self-redemption. See, when we realize that we are dust, that we are not God, our inclination is to make up for it and to redeem ourselves. Ernest Becker, in his book, The Denial of Death, talks about the way that we try to defeat death, one of which is by leaving a legacy. 
If we can't live forever, we want to be remembered forever. We want to be remembered for being a good father, a good husband, wife, son, daughter, mother. We want to be remembered for being the best chef, the best entrepreneur, the lawyer, the writer, the artist, the musician, the athlete, whatever it may be. The way we are remembered is important to us, even if, even if you don't believe in an afterlife, right? I love this movie called The Whiplash, uh, which is a popular movie I think came out a few years ago. It's a story about Andrew, who played by Miles Teller, who's a first-year jazz student who hopes to be the greatest jazz drummer who ever lived, right? At first, you admire his determination and commitment to his craft, and then you realize that there is more at play that is, that is here. With often bloody and bruised knuckles from practice, Andrew sacrifices his relationship, his sanity, and nearly his life to be remembered as the greatest jazz drummer that has ever lived. And then it hits you that what, what he wants is not merely to be remembered. He wants immortality. Why on earth do you care about how you are remembered once you die? It's almost as if being remembered is a way of defeating death. If we could live on in the hearts and minds of people as significant, as great, then we would have redeemed ourselves from the dust. What will free us from our insanity? It is only God. See, God saw the way that Adam and Eve tried to redeem themselves and essentially showed them that their provision will never, ever do. See, they thought they could just take a bunch of fig tree leaves and just cover themselves. They thought this was pleasing and this will cover all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of that's there. But no, God steps in. He sacrifices an animal. And he makes a garment of skin, and he covers them. He covers them. Hear me on this. So even in the worst moment of history, we are reminded that we cannot redeem ourselves. God reminds us that only he can, and he did. See, our good deeds wouldn't be sufficient to redeem us from death. Our quest for significance wouldn't be sufficient to redeem us from death. No, only God can. And this is the way that he reversed it all. See, when we sinfully reached out for divinity, God redeemed us by taking on humanity. See, Jesus came into this world and took on flesh and didn't stop there, but took on our sin. So as we continue to do our worst by nailing him to the cross, God displayed his love by willingly laying himself down. So when our rebellion was at its height, it's when his love was most fiercely displayed. That's good news. Even in our worst moments, whatever that may be, in our lives, in our circumstances, or any act that we have done, that in our rebellion, as when it was at its height, is when his love was fiercely displayed. 
And from now until Christ returns, you and I will be reminded of these two things when we reenact the fall, because we will. That in our worst moments, when we try to be like God, He will remind us that we are dust. He will remind us that we're human. And in our worst moments, when we try to desperately to redeem ourselves, He will remind us that only He can do this. This is good news. This is the truth of the gospel. This is the word that we desperately need. I needed to hear that in my own soul this week, and I know each and every one of us, we need to hear that. Maybe we were reminded of this truth. Maybe we were reminded of our humanity. Maybe we were reminded that only God is the one who could clothe us, who could cover us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you, church. Gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that um, it is your spirit, Lord, um, that moves and speaks and ministers to the folks here. Not I. Not any of the leaders here, but it is you. Holy Spirit, may you come now and, and, and as you have been speaking now to each person here. Lord, may they feel the weight, God, of their sin. Whatever of their worst moments are. Whatever Genesis 3 has been playing in their lives. Whatever whispers of the enemy that are lurking around and telling them right now. May they find hope in you as you remind us that you're the one who can only save. You're the only one that can redeem. You're the only one that can restore. May those whispers of the enemy disappear. May they now hear your voice. May they hear your sweet voice, Jesus, who tells them that, you're, that they are a child of God because of what you have done. That they get to walk out in forgiveness because of what you've accomplished and what you alone have accomplished, God. Lord, let that, that be true this morning. So Lord, may you cover this church, God. May they constantly be reminded. May we all be reminded of the truth of the good news of the gospel and how good it is. Thank you for reminding us for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.